0: Reality doesn't have to be virtual, it can be augmented. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Virtual reality gets a lot of attention these days, and for good reason. It's a stupendous technology. It transports the viewer to another world entirely. It appears to be the future of entertainment, and it has many commercial applications as well. But its sometimes-neglected stepsister, augmented reality, is pretty cool as well. More than just a crude progenitor of VR, augmented reality is itself a highly valuable tool, especially in the worlds of logistics and manufacturing. My guest today, Brian Ballard of Upskill, believes AR will be everywhere by the end of this year, essential to the creation, delivery, and service of the world's best-known brands. We'll see AR popping up in the warehouse, the plant, the store, and who knows where else. It's one of the technologies that has the potential to truly disrupt business operations. So to find out where AR is today and where it's going, here is my conversation with Brian Ballard. Brian Ballard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bob. Our topic today is augmented reality, or AR, but I want to start by asking you to distinguish for me the difference in your mind between AR and VR, or virtual reality.
1: Sure. The biggest difference between augmented and virtual reality is the ability to see the real world. So in augmented reality, the goal, and there's obviously a spectrum of different types of devices and experiences in both categories, but in the augmented reality world, what we're looking for is can I see the real world and can I add information into it that could be for educational context, work-related, could be for a fun experience, but I always can see the real world. In virtual reality, it's the complete replacing of the world around you. So in the ideal state, all of your senses are being tricked into thinking you're somewhere else. And you could be in an environment where I'm I'm wearing a VR headset and I'm looking around and I can look all directions around me and it looks like maybe I'm in Hawaii, which in the middle of January might be a nice thing. So there's a pretty big distinction in the experience. And then because the experience is so different, the technologies that power both have actually started to diverge a bit.
0: So you're not necessarily wearing a helmet or a wraparound glasses or anything like that where you can't actually see the real world when you are experiencing AR.
1: Right. In the spectrum of AR devices, you have the, the ones that are extremely immersive. Content is being placed in almost an indistinguishable sense from real objects. So like, think of gaming where maybe you're doing like a maze game and it's drawing walls and doors and you're walking around an open space. We still see the ground, but there's fake things that are interjected into real life. And then there's things that are more like heads-up display, like you might find in your car, that aren't terribly immersive, but you can still see the real world, and I'm adding relevant information into it.
0: Give me a sense of the state of the art of AR today. Where are the earlier adopters? Where has it found the most use as of this time we're speaking?
1: Most of the use in augmented reality right now from just a pure like, utility standpoint is on the lower immersion end of the spectrum, and it's for a combination of reasons. It's lower cost, it's more mature, lower complexity, content availability, but it feels more like a heads-up display. Um, so this is your what we term assisted reality underneath the AR umbrella, which is I'm getting information that matters in the moment I'm in, so there's some contextual understanding of what I am, where I am, what I'm doing, and the information is available in my field of view. That's hitting a pretty mature stride in the market right now. As far as state-of-the-art, though, goes, this is where the mixed reality end of the augmented reality spectrum comes into play, which is your things like HoloLens, what the market's impression of what Magic Leap could be, where it's true immersion in the space. The sensor payloads are significantly more advanced. The optics are directly in your line of sight, and they're totally transparent.
0: You use the phrase assisted reality. Is that another term to be distinguished between that and augmented reality?
1: In the industry, it's generally part of the umbrella. So augmented reality is the broad category, and then there's a couple different flavors of it that sit underneath.
0: Would assisted be a a more primitive version of that? Or how, how, again, would you define that?
1: Less immersive. Content is available, but it's not actually registered in in the real world from a spatial standpoint.
0: What has made it possible for AR to get to the point where it is today? Is it the uh, – be able to shrink the size of devices? Is it costs coming down? Is it general public acceptance? Is it, for that matter, artificial intelligence? What has happened to make AR a thing now with a bright future, so to speak?
1: You can almost think of it to some extent as the you know, the moons are aligning. So all of the different pieces of the puzzle have come together. And the science fiction draw to this technology has existed since the 70s, 80s, 90s. Businesses have been experimenting, trying to make it work for a very long time now. But for the value and the wearability to come together, there's a bunch of things that had to line up. High data rate communications is oddly important to this. You have to get data that matters to the devices so all of the technology advances in wireless communications for cell phones, Wi-Fi, have contributed to this. The optics technology from a yield and producibility standpoint have come an incredibly long way. Actually, even just in the last three years, we've seen some pretty big leaps. Projection technology is getting smaller. You've got high-speed or high-performance computer processors, so we can drive a lot of the really fast twitch, like the high-frequency uh, drawings that you need to make things look compelling in, in the real world. And then finally, battery life. I mean, this is something you're wearing an electronic device you can't carry around a car battery with you. So a lot of that benefits actually drawn from the the mobile industry. And they've all kind of come together in the last couple of years that have unlocked the advancements.
0: Is there an intersection between augmented reality and artificial intelligence, the latter perhaps to serve as an interpretive tool for the data that flows in an AR environment?
1: Absolutely. So when we think about those two technologies, the end state is augmented intelligence. So not artificial, but can I as a person ask my devices and the AIs that power them, what's next? And just saying that, there's a lot of context that needs to be very quickly processed, interpreted, queries need to go out, data being synthesized and an answer coming back. AI is a really compelling tool for that. Think about that in terms of like an Amazon Alexa or a Google Assistant. What is done in our home life, you can imagine the same thing being available at all times, but it's communicating back to you via visualizations of information, which is a really powerful way for people to get information. Pictures worth a thousand words if you've ever dialed into a telephone operating system and it's saying press 1 for this press 2 for that you have to wait for all that information it's much more efficient to show somebody something
0: well to get us out of those horrible phone trees that would be that alone would, would justify <laughs> the cost of the tech, and the effort of the technology <laughs> who are the early adopters in terms of industries and environments where are we seeing this technology being brought to bear
1: so like most things Early adoption happens either where the pain point is extremely high to justify the investment or the challenges are so low that you can call it low-hanging fruit. What we see is the businesses that have adopted this, and it really is a business adoption more than consumer at this point. Business adoption, you're looking for areas where first-time quality is incredibly important. When you or I or people try and memorize everything you need to do for something, that's where mistakes come in. So augmented reality can be a resource available to somebody doing work. First-time quality matters a lot from a dollar standpoint in discrete manufacturing, heavy industry, aerospace. So you look at roles where the cost of rework could be measured in millions of dollars by a mistake. That's an area where we've seen a lot of early adoption. And then from the access of the low-hanging fruit, augmented reality is designed to help people access information more effectively. So you have to have digitization of your information those same industries have already invested in the digitization of their manufacturing processes their warehouse instrument processes field service records so we see a lot of adoption in the large enterprises that have leaned out a lot of the back-end systems And now they're finding a way to bridge information to the workforce.
0: It would seem to me to be an ideal tool in the area of product design as yet another iteration of computer-assisted design and computer-assisted manufacturing. Is that the case?
1: Actually, some of the most fun I've had in augmented reality experiences, some of the demos that Microsoft first came out with with HoloLens were pretty fun. The head count, if you want to think about it that way, is just a little bit lower in those environments. So much of the design tools are still based around 3D model manipulation on something like a Dassault system, SolidWorks, or an Onshape, or like a Siemens-based CAD program. The tool chains for design are still much more efficient on Called a desktop right now. But then you, you do the validation step or some of the visualization steps in augmented reality. We think that that's going to change over time. It just hasn't had, I think, the scale of impact yet. But it is an incredible experience. It is definitely cool. And it gets students excited. There's a lot of college programs popping up around this. Most of the brand demonstrations are being done in that kind of design-centric scenario.
0: Give me an example of uh, one or two specific applications of AR in the area of logistics.
1: It's kind of funny when you think about it, like every one of us benefits from the advances in logistics. Same day shipping from Amazon is, is certainly a game changer. What powers all of that, I think a lot of us take for granted. When you go into these warehouse environments, there are a ton of people. There's a ton of internet of things, conveyor systems, automated pick pack. But the picking, kitting, shipping, receiving roles can all be aided for increased accuracy, better agility, productivity speed with augmented reality. So imagine as opposed to warehouse staff walking around with a handheld barcode scanner where they've got to put it down in order to pick up the box and stick it in the kit, they can work hands-free and see and interact with the data all through smart glasses. That's a really high interest, fast adoption area that we're seeing in the market right now. There's also a ton of value-added services that happen behind the scenes in the supply chain, whether it's adding labels on the clothes before they're finally shipped to the end store, cell phone repair, a lot of that stuff happens within your supply chain. All of those benefit from real-time instructions, which is an area that the market has a huge interest in augmented reality for.
0: But it sounds like you're saying that, I I don't know if this would be like, let's take that warehouse worker who's using augmented reality instead of a hand device. Uh, This is something they'd be probably wearing on their face, right? I mean, right. it would be like a maybe like a better version of Google Glass or something like that, um, or
1: Google Glass itself.
0: Or Google? Well, I guess it's not dead, is it? It's, it is all, not. No, it, the
1: inter- still- No the enterprise edition is used by many companies in logistics.
0: But what are they actually? They're just seeing numbers and data, though. <laughs> is that right? Being projected in their field of vision is that the version of AR that they're experiencing? Not actual visuals of product or anything, but just information.
1: Oh, definitely all of the above. So. Think about the types of data you would see on a barcode scanner. Where am I going? It might be a shelf number. What's the barcode I'm going to pick out of it? So when the person walks up to the shelf, they might be looking for, is this barcode right? Versus giving them visual cues to say, look right at this box. Here's the barcode. Automatically scan it. Show you a photo of a basketball telling you this is what you're going to pick out of that box. So you have much more, I think, in sync cognitive awareness of what you're supposed to be doing. Rather than like turn by turn instructions without knowing where you're supposed to go as an end state. So think of this in terms of like GPS for your job. If I didn't know what point B was, I'm kind of like a drone. If you tell me here's what your expectation is and here are the clues along the way just to help you get there without confusion, that's I think the nuanced difference between the two.
0: Is it akin to the use of a smartphone routing app in a car? In other words, you can look at this and it will actually visually map out for you your journey through the warehouse to, to the next product you need to access?
1: So a, a true, like here's the path, follow the transposed yeah. arrow in front of you. I think that's an end state and that's more useful, I think, in training somebody if they're new to a space. I think once you're familiar with the space, just saying, hey, you're going to area X and then row Y. People tend to build a pretty good mental model of that after they've done it a couple times.
0: What have been the barriers to adoption or anything that might be slowing full development of the technology up to this point?
1: Depending on the industry, there's a couple big things that accelerate or attenuate adoption. Availability of the right type of hardware for the right environment is certainly something that is a foundational requirement. If I work outdoors, I better have hardware that's waterproof. The first generation glasses certainly didn't meet that criteria. They weren't rugged enough. They were frankly consumer devices that were being adopted by industry because industry saw a problem it could solve. And then they found out whether or not the hardware met their requirement. There's a lot more that's come out and there's more coming, but that's definitely something that on a industry by industry basis, it's, you have to have the right tool for the job or it's going to stay in pilot purgatory rather than full adoption. As you say, the IT requirements of rolling out a high-value tool are certainly something to take into consideration as well. There's industries that are on the forefront of cloud adoption, which means you can get computer vision recognition, natural language processing to aid the human-computer interaction side, and there's others that have a more restrictive network profile. And it it just opens up different use cases. So those are things that when, when we're dealing with customers that are curious about where this can go, those are... Fundamental things that we're inquiring about to see whether or not there's a fit to make this a successful pilot to production versus just an experiment.
0: When would you think we will see AR migrate more strongly to the consumer side? I think the
1: biggest gating function on that is price. In the consumer world, augmented reality, I think, in its initial adoption, is going to be for experience. So whether it's a brand experience, is it a game, is it storytelling? And in the consumer world, that's generally, think of it as a luxury if you can afford it versus a need to have that's driving a return on investment. So if you look at the install base of the lowest path of hardware costs, it's actually on phones and tablets. Your original Pokemon Go, I wouldn't say it was like immersive augmented reality. It was more geocaching. But those types of things that you can do aided by some of the cool new AR stuff coming out on Google, Android, and Apple's um, iOS I think that's where we're going to see most of the augmented reality development. When it moves into smart glasses, price is going to be a really important driver for that because the luxury versus need to have is going to be something that every consumer is going to have to think through for themselves. And that might be a couple years to five years out still.
0: Retailers talk about using it to enhance the shopping experience, to create virtual or augmented shopping environments, whether you're <clears throat> yeah. in a mall or a virtual store. Oh, you don't believe we're there yet to any great degree, but is that a future?
1: Well, I think the B2C from an experience and brand point does drive an ROI. Um, you can You can answer a lot of the questions people have. I think you're going to see the... Maintenance and repair manuals for cars being always available in augmented reality. How do you jump a car? How do you put together IKEA furniture? AR, I think, will be a pretty powerful teaching tool and troubleshooting tool for consumers. But it will be the brands investing in the content creation and then differentiating their products based on that as a kind of neat feature for their customer base. If you're in a mall, you might have the magic mirror type things for clothing. The smart glasses side of it, I think you see in like automotive more. For consumer and brand experiences, that's something that Honda and Volvo and others like that really kind of lead the way in.
0: Is AR a stop on the road to VR, or is it a standalone technology in and of itself, even going forward into the future?
1: Right now, I see them as very different technologies because they're trying to solve two totally different sets of problems we may see some cross-pollination of the technologies that might benefit one versus the other, particularly in 3D content creation. You can, I think, reuse a lot between the two. But if I had to pick a side, I'd say they'll stay separate.
0: Now, if we get a little bit sci-fi here, uh, just for the far future, (laughs) do you believe that we might see AR... Translate from wearable technology into implantable technology? Do you think further down the line that's something, or is is that so far in the future that it's really not constructed to talk about right now?
1: (laughs) I definitely think it will happen. And here's how I think it's going to play out look at the returning soldiers that have battlefield injuries, that have prosthetics. There will be people who, for any number of reasons, will have a whether it's a medical or a need to have an interface for compute control. Whether it's computer vision, whether it's speech, whether it's control of devices around them because maybe they don't have hands for some reason, that's going to drive the first like need-based implantation of human-computer interface. Once that happens, the industry to support it, perfect it, will stand up, and then you, know, you can have a class of people that want to try it. I don't know when that will happen, but I am 100% confident it will.
0: Well, it is great to hear the story of augmented reality as distinct from that of virtual reality to understand that it is an important technology in and of itself. It has a present and it has an important future. So, Brian Ballard of Upskill, thank you so much for painting a picture of uh, AR for us today. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: I appreciate it. It's fun to talk about it, and hopefully we shed a light on an interesting topic.
0: That was my conversation with Brian Ballard of Upskill, talking about the coming of augmented reality. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.